the more you do it, the better you get at it. Are you going to have a rough two to three weeks at first? Yeah, you are. But if you want the benefits, you have to be consistent. You can't run one mile and then go, oh, I'm good for a week. Nope, 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 nope. Doesn't work that way. And you also similarly, to, to go back to my point about starting small and taking five minutes, don't go out on day one and run a marathon. You run a half a mile and then you run three quarters of a mile and then you run one and then you run, you know, so forth and so on. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where I'm on a mission to help you max out every aspect of your life. If we want to take our lives to the next level, what we all need is the courage to face our fears and do the things we're scared of. And today, I have just the right guy, I guess, in helping you do that. Kate Swoboda, author of The Courage Habit. Kate is an expert when it comes to the science of courage and cultivating courageous habits. And that's exactly what we'll talk about today how to break through your fears and live your courageous life. So welcome, Kate. Hi. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm super excited to have you. And so to set the tone for this conversation, I think it's important to, first of all, clearly define the difference between courage and being fearless. Because I think that's a, something that, that often strips people up. So why is it so important to be courage but not to be fearless? Well, I think that, you know, so often we associate practicing courage with an absence of fear. And um, in the research that I did into psychological courage and how we live courageous lives and how we can be more courageous people, I did not find anything that suggested that people who are, who show up in their lives with more courage um, have an absence of fear. Rather, what it is, is people end up managing their fear differently when they are living with courage and when they are leading courageous lives. So, um, you know, that, that I think, you know, says it right there on some level, because if there was research out there telling people, here's the thing, you just need to actually say, forget your fear, go away. I'm not dealing with my fear. Um, I would totally be out there because I want people to not get stuck in their fear. I'd, I'd be out there writing books about that as a strategy, <laughs> right? We'd all be talking about that. Unfortunately, that's just not how it actually works. And so, um, I think it's really important for us to look at how we can practice courage and also to realize too that if we do things that don't work and we keep trying to do those things, unfortunately that wastes time. And I'm, I'm not a fan of wasted time. I really like, you know, like, okay, tell me the thing that is going to get me the, you know, the, the return on investment of my time. And so it's like, okay, in the short term, it's profoundly uncomfortable for people to, look at what their fear is saying and get really conscious about the behaviors that go along with when they're stuck in fear so that they can shift that and do something different. And that was what I started to really focus on through um, all of my work. You know, I love that. I think everybody listening to us, whether you're at home, whether you're out for a run, I think everybody can attest to, to what you're saying here is that like, you know, trying to pretend like the fears aren't there, trying to hide from them somehow, it doesn't work, right? We've tried it a million times, but it just doesn't work. And so this, this art of learning to get to know our fears, of learning to understand them and, and play with them, I think is so important. So you talk a lot about, you know, the problems that, that people have when they try or when they 
they fall into this trap of thinking they have to be fearless. Because you talk a lot about you know how it can lead to perfectionism and stress. So can you share with us a little bit about you know the traps that we can fall into when we think we need to be fearless? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, there are three predominant ways that people are usually conditioned to handle their fear. And we all have been conditioned into these. Um, and unfortunately, though, they don't work. So one way that people typically try to handle fear is to avoid it entirely, like just kind of la la la, I don't see you, you know. <laughs> um, and we see that now because we're recording this at, you know, in the midst of the COVID crisis. And there are totally people who are just like, I'm, I'm just not even I'm like pretending it doesn't even exist. It does it isn't even happening. And then there are people who are who respond to fear with placating behaviors. So they try to do life right, or they try to make sure other people are happy with them, so that the fear won't come up. And that, of course, doesn't really work either, because you can't make everybody around you happy, and you can't control the world around you, and nobody can do all things right all the time, so that fear will never be a factor. And then the third way that people tend to try to deal with fear is to attack it, attack others, attack themselves. I definitely see a certain amount of that happening right now with COVID, whether it's people attacking others because they believe that they're not doing shelter in place properly or attacking themselves. Why am I so afraid? Why do I, why can't I get over it? I should be able to concentrate better right now. I should be, you know, so beating up on themselves for not managing stress as well. So whether we're calling it stress or we're calling it fear, let's call a thing a thing. It's, you know, stress is just like a slightly different variation on the word fear. So when people feel stress, when people feel fear, they try to avoid or placate or attack those fear responses. And unfortunately, that's just a Band-Aid approach. What we need to do is we need to look at what our fear patterns are. And there are four predominant fear patterns that show up. One is perfectionism, pretty self-explanatory. Another is people-pleasing. So people get afraid in their lives. And instead of staying focused on their dreams or what they want to do, they run around people-pleasing for everybody else or giving 150% to their salary job, leaving themselves no room for their big entrepreneurial dream that they're trying to build on the side. We also get uh, the pattern, the third pattern of pessimism, and we're seeing a lot of that happening right now with COVID, a kind of like, what are we, it, you know, it's just all hopeless, everybody, you know, COVID's going to hit, it's going to be bad, our world leaders are not stepping up, and then self-sabotage, and self-sabotage is like taking two steps forward, one step back, and um I, you know, there's, there's not an example, I suppose, that I can think of at this moment with COVID, but it's very common with money or with exercise or eating habits. With self-sabotage, it's very like, oh, well, I saved money yesterday, so I'll spend like crazy today to reward <laughs> myself. I ate, you know, healthy foods yesterday, so today I eat nothing but sugar. And those self-sabotage patterns, the, the other thing that can be self-sabotage, and actually now I'm realizing we can tie this to COVID um, is like if you have a big dream and you tell like the absolute worst, most wet blanket person about your dream. And I suddenly made the connection to COVID because I was like, oh yeah, if you're trying to maintain your, your sanity and the sense of calm and manage your overwhelm, and then you go talk to your friend who is going to like hit you with 10 news links of, of things that are going wrong, then like you're hijacking your own calm your own sense of managing overwhelm because you know 
people have shown you who they're going to be. You know who those friends are who are going to be like, and then I heard this and it's oh, yeah. awful. <laughs> you know? So we got to monitor that stuff. We got to notice the four fear patterns, perfectionism, people pleasing, pessimism, self-sabotage. And instead of going into those habitual behaviors, we need to go into what I call courage habit behaviors. And that is accessing the body, listening without attachment, reframing limiting stories, reaching out and creating community. Yes, I absolutely love that. Now, before we dive a little bit deeper into the courage habit, I first want to take a little bit of a closer look on, on those fear patterns because looking at it from the outside, it seems so obvious, right? You see your friend doing the thing and you, you know it's a fear pattern, right? You know this person's just self-sabotaging or whatever it is. But often it's for ourselves in our own lives. It's so hard to notice that. So how can people begin to become a little bit more aware? Do you have any techniques for that, for really raising the awareness of this is how I respond when I'm in stress or when I'm in fear? Yeah, well, so in The Courage Habit, I actually break down each of these four fear patterns. And when I was breaking them down, I was actually thinking about, I'm glad you asked this question because I was actually thinking about how do I really help people to recognize it? Because you could talk about something theoretically, but how do I actually recognize what it is that I do? And so in the courage habit, I tried to talk about not just like behaviors, but also mental things, like things that people tend to say to themselves in their heads when they're in those fear patterns. Uh, I also tried to point out belief systems that typically accompany each of the fear patterns. And I think that as a just a starting point, if it feels for someone like it's just too hard to go, am I this one or do I do this one? Which one of these do I do the most? It's like, how about first we just start with noticing fear sensations in the body. When you feel afraid, just noticing that. And then tuning in and going, okay, I'm feeling afraid. So the work is not about, I'm going to be this person who never feels afraid. The work is about, I totally accept that I'm not going to be fearless. I will feel fear, but what I want to do is be courageous. And I want to step into that courage in a very real way. So when I feel fear, I don't even have to label it or define it if that's too much. I think it's helpful to, to know the patterns, but if it's too much, you don't have to label or define it. Let's just start with, I'm feeling afraid. Let me use a courage habit tool like, reframing limiting stories if that's what appeals to you, reaching out and creating community if that's what appeals to you, accessing the body, listening without attachment. You can pick one. You don't have to do them like in an order. But um, of course, they're more powerful when you are practicing all of them rather than just some of them. Yes. Yeah, so talk to me about this building of community. I think this is a really interesting and important point of finding the right people around us. So how can people do that in a way that actually facilitates the courage? Well, the, I mean, I definitely think it's true that if the people you hang around tend to be people who don't have a growth mindset, if they have a very fixed mindset about this is the way it is, then, you know, when you tell them about the things that you want to do, or when you're trying to have a deeper connection, of course, you know, they're going to respond with that fixed mindset. So there's, you know, the kind of like very bare bones strategic level of how people communicate. But with reaching out and creating community, the, the, fascinating thing to me is how much research keeps showing up supporting the idea that com that community bolsters our emotional resilience when people set goals 
when they make it a community-driven, compassionate goal that benefits not just themselves but others, not only, and this is research-based, not only are they more successful at actually hitting the goal, so if your goal has some connection to community, you're more likely to succeed, but when they interviewed people, to ask them what the process of going after the goal felt like, people report much higher levels of fulfillment around even just going after that goal. So you want to struggle less, involve other people, <laughs> you know, like it seems so straightforward, but it's so true. And I, I have to say, you know, I wrote The Courage Habit um, a couple years ago, and I, I continue to find just more and more places where people are applying the work. And I love seeing that it keeps, you know, I keep getting emails. I get an email from a teacher who's using it in the classroom or a nurse who's using it in her department or a mom who's using it with her kids. And one of the cool things is that other books come out that really also support the research that I presented in The Courage Habit. So Johan Hari, H-A-R-I, wrote a book called Lost Connections. And it's actually about how one of the biggest things that helps people with clinical depression is community. More than anything else. I mean, having community and strong social support it has more research showing much higher impact, much more help for people suffering for de from depression than any antidepressant whatsoever. And that is really powerful to wow, look at. Yes. Like the fixes are actually all around us. And we don't have to pop a pill and, and deal with the side effects that come with that. Now, I always have to add the disclaimer. I'm not diagnosing anyone, and I'm certainly not wanting anyone who listens to this to think that now they don't need to take their antidepressant. I'm not saying that. Talk to your doctor. I'm just saying that there are clinical applications to this that are really, really powerful. Yes, that's so important. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, it, it reminds me of that, that famous longitudinal Harvard study, right, that it did for like 80 years, where they mm -hmm. found that the amount and the quality of positive relationships in your life was actually the biggest predictor of, of people's long-term health and happiness. And just thinking about it, it, it really shows how important it is to find the right people in your life. And, and like you mentioned before, like it makes the the pursuit of goals, it makes it so much more enjoyable and so much more fulfilling, but at the same time, so much more effective also and successful, right? So I'm just thinking about, you know, my own life, like whenever, you know, I've done like, I guess, semi-professional running for the last 10 years. And whenever I know I have a big race coming up, I will find the people around me that are also running fast, will team up and run together because we know that together you're just so much faster. You can push harder. You're going to be more dedicated, more motivated to bring out your best, right? And, mm -hmm. and one other cool thing that I've, I've done, I guess, over the last year now with my tribe of people here in Switzerland is, is we'll go out in the street and we'll do these courage challenges, really. We don't call it that, but we we'll do it, right? So it's like, who gets the most high fives with random strangers, right? Or who can you know, take the most selfies with, with some random people you will see in the street just to get accustomed to and get used to in a, in a bigger community to basically creating this courage and being courageous and taking action even though you're afraid. So do you have any other kind of courage challenges for people to really, you know, start embracing this mindset? Well, I think the biggest challenge is really um, always around people being willing to do the work in the first place and then to do it consistently. So to me, the challenge is how can someone listening to this, if they say, I want to do this, 
really set up your life so that you're actually going to show up with consistency. Consistency is, is the power, power move. You know, yes, of course there are benefits to having one day where you show up with a lot of courage, Mm -hmm. but that one day isn't going to string things together to create the kind of success and happiness and fulfillment that people want the same way that actually going on a, on a daily basis, who do I want to be? And if who I want to be is a courageous person, guess what? You get practice the the behaviors and the habits that add up to ultimately being a courageous person. And this isn't about perfectionism. I mean, I raise my hand first here. Like, uh, I don't call myself courageous because I've got fear dialed in and courage dialed in, and I just always choose courage. But it's certainly gotten a hell of a lot easier since I started really going, who do I want to be? And if who I want to be is a courageous person, what do I need to be doing? How do I need to be showing up in the world? And really putting presence on that. If we're not putting presence on those things, they tend to wither. So put your attention on it would be the big thing I'd say. And start in five-minute increments if you need to. Because I get it. We, you know, People's fear patterns don't feel comfortable. So it makes sense that we often run for whatever we think would be the quickest form of relief. And that's, again, the avoiding and the placating and the attacking. We do that because that's what we're used to. And at first, it feels really uncomfortable to do something that you're not used to. But you have to trust that you're going to get more used to it. And you brought up running. And I think I, you know, I used to be a runner. I'm now a CrossFit athlete. But you know, I remember when I was really diehard about running, people who weren't runners would always be like, oh, I would be a runner, but it's just, it's awful. It's so hard. It's just so hard. And it's like, you can't convince them unless they want to actually be receptive, right? Yes. Like, it's not hard always. Your body, and this is biologically proven, your, your blood actually starts to oxygenate because your lungs and your heart when it's really hard to start running at first, that's because your lungs and your heart are the only engines oxygenating your system. With time, it's pretty freaking cool. The body is a miraculous thing. Your blood actually will start to oxygenate to take off some of the load from your lungs and your heart when you're running. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. Are you going to have a rough two to three weeks at first? Yeah, you are. But if you want the benefits, you have to be consistent. You can't run one mile and then go, oh, I'm good for a week. Nope, 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 nope. Doesn't work that way. And you also similarly, to to go back to my point about starting small and taking five minutes, don't go out on day one and run a marathon. You run a half a mile and then you run three quarters of a mile and then you run one and then you run, you know, so forth and so on. You know, I love this so much. And this is literally the key to, to really creating success in this. So can you give us some more tips on, on building consistency? Because like you mentioned, that is really the key, right? If you want to become a runner, you've got to do it every day for weeks and months and eventually years if you actually want to become good and, and get to a point where you can actually enjoy it on a daily basis, right? But what trips people up is they're not able to stay consistent, right? Because they have that one bad workout and one stressful day at work and it's just like, ah, screw it, Right. So what can people do to make courage in their lives more of a habit? Well, I, I think there's a question of how bad do you want it? Because 
in my experience, if people want something badly enough, they will find a way to get it. And unfortunately, sometimes people even find really dysfunctional ways to get it that harm others. That's where greed comes from, right? The, the hunger for money at all costs. So if you want something badly enough, you will find a way to get it. And there is someone somewhere who has figured out how to get or create the thing that you want to get or create for no money, for less money, with very little time, and um, that whatever it is that someone wants for their lives, that they, if they, if they are willing to stay consistent and be with what they want over time, somehow, some way, it starts coming towards you. Somehow, some way, things start to change, or we start to change how we adapt to things. But I really do believe that that has been um, a, a key consistent thing. And I, I you know, I mean, I, um, as I mentioned, I can't speak from racism, but I can speak from a place of growing up in the United States and experiencing extreme poverty compared to what a lot of other uh, people were doing. Um, food insecurity, not knowing where your next meal would come from. I learned how to grow my business using Google. And uh, going to the library. I mean, wow. you know, I, I have a home office now, but I used to go to a library and that was my home office. I checked out business books and I read them. Um, and, and to me, it's just what is it that you want to actually create for your life? Right now, uh, everybody's doing shelter in place where I'm at. Thank you, people who are doing that. Um, I'm into CrossFit. CrossFit.com posts free workouts every single day and they always have but they especially are now you don't have to have a big fancy gym membership to do an air squat or a push-up you just have to be willing to say I want this for my life I want to feel the effects of good health so I'm going to do it um, a can of peas a can of green beans costs less than a dollar you want to eat more vegetables I'm not telling anyone how they have to eat like all the time with every meal but I'm just saying if you have a goal of getting more vegetables into your system it does not take a lot of money to actually do that so looking at the things in your life like money time all of those things and just asking yourself if it, you know there's got to be someone somewhere who's figured out how to get this thing to whatever capacity I'm able how about I just move in that direction and just see what happens? You might not have as, and as easy a time as someone else. Everyone is different. Everyone faces challenges. But at least for me, and I can only speak for my experience and what I've noticed to be helpful for others, it, it, the more we can move in, the, in that direction of let me try, let me see, let me ask the people who have gone before me, the better we do. So I'm, um, you know, podcasts like this one hopefully give people some insight into how that they they can do that. You know, kid, I absolutely love that. And there's this one belief that has fundamentally changed my life, which is I do think and believe that which moves me towards my goals. Meaning, I will only spend time on those things, thinking about them, dwelling on them, that will actually help me reach my goals. And so there are very, you know, there are a lot of obstacles. They're very real reasons for people, you know, not to do something, not to become great at something, but there's always the opportunity, right? There's always, like you say, there's always this one tiny step that you can take. There's always another opportunity. And so focusing on that, learning to focus, not on, you know, the excuses, not on the things, the obstacles that may be very real in your life, but learning to focus on 
what you can do to improve, what you can do to take that next step is so powerful and, and such an important lesson here, I think. Yeah, and I'd add to that that I, you know, in my own life, like, I think, I think we need to create space for people to feel the truth of what they feel. That's actually what the courage habit step of accessing the body is about. So it's not just like only focus on your goals and don't feel any of the bad stuff. I actually sit down when I'm really, really stressed and I feel either angry or just like that kind of overwhelming sadness. Um, I'll sit down and it's like, okay, I'm sad. I need a little time to cry. Okay, I'm angry. I need to scream into a pillow. And I treat it kind of like a meditation session. So, you know, when people do meditation, they sit down for 10 minutes or 20 minutes and they look at a wall and they watch their breath. I set a timer for 10 minutes or 20 minutes and I just like, like, go ahead, let's cry it all out, all the pent up stuff. Same thing with if I'm really angry, let me scream into a towel, let me punch a pillow, you know, something to get those, those feelings out. So we are human beings, not human doings. And yes, you are going to feel afraid as you're going along your journey and you're going to have times where you doubt yourself, where you feel anxious, sad, frustrated, all of those things. Give some kind of room for those feelings and it's, so it's not about not feeling those things. It's about, you know, sometimes the most productive thing you can do to really focus on your goals is to take care of a feeling that is preventing you from focusing on your goals. So that's the, the piece I would, I would add on to what you shared, which I thought was great in many ways. Yes, for sure. And, and that is so interesting. So, so you actually set a timer for how long basically you're going to stay in that emotional state. And then, then once that timer turns off, you're like, okay, now it's time to switch it. Or how, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. I call it process work. And if you want to, I listen to a playlist that I've created and anybody who wants to, you can go to Spotify and search for Kate process work and you should find it. Let me just actually look at my phone real quick here and just make sure that's exactly what I called it. But Oh yeah. I'll yeah. link to that then. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Kate process work by Kate courageous. So you could find it and you could follow it. And it starts out with this really sad kind of music. And then moves into like kind of some more intense music and then it ends with happy music. And when it, when the happy music comes up, that is, that is my cue. I have to transition back out into the world, right? I'm a mother. I have a small child. I have a husband. I have a business. I have a life. Um, I don't want to be stuck in those feelings. I just want to discharge some of them so that they don't pile up. And um, so I listen to that. And then, yeah, as it starts to transition to the happier music, um, if I feel like there's more there and I'm not ready to transition yet, sometimes I'll go back to some of the, the sadder stuff, but um, usually I'm pretty good. I'll kind of force myself to smile slash dance to change my emotional state Love that. Um, and get a drink, get a drink of water and go on a walk and, and I'm good. It's amazing. I absolutely love that process because I think it's so important to actually process those emotions. Like you say, right. It's, it's, it's so easy to try to avoid them to, you know, go on Netflix and just, you know, try to forget about that thing that happened to you like for an hour or two. Right. But that stuff, like it doesn't give you the ability to actually process through those emotions. So I love what you're saying here about really being intentional, right. About, you know, sitting down and, and, and really feeling what, what you're feeling, feeling the truth of, your experience, but then moving through that and getting out of that experience because you took the time and you had the courage to actually experience those emotions. And I think that mm -hmm. takes a lot of courage, right? To, to face those difficult emotions that we oftentimes mm -hmm. have, to not to hide from them, to not to, you know, 
try to forget about them, try to you know, eradicate them through social media or whatever, through food. But to actually feel and experience those emotions takes a lot of courage. Yes, I think so. And that's, that's part of why, you know, when we were talking earlier, I was like, just getting people to pay attention to their fear is a huge part of the gig because a lot of people just really, let me go for the thing that is easier. Let me go for the bottle of wine to numb out. Let me go into feeling angry, pissy, resentful, because I just want people to leave me alone. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we do with our fear, but the idea is to pay attention so that we can actually do things that are more productive and more helpful. For sure. So we already touched a little bit on this idea of micro movements. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? So micro movements I see as um, the ability to just understand that, you know, it's not about flipping a switch. I think so much of self-help tends to come from a paradigm of if you follow my four part plan, then you're just going to have this perfect life. And (laughs) I just, I think it's so much more, um, you know, respectful of our humanity as people to go, okay. It's like, you know, I I talked about the four fear patterns earlier, perfectionism, people pleasing, pessimism, self-sabotage. We all do all of them at least a little bit. One of them usually hooks us more than the rest. I'll raise my hand on perfectionism. That hooks me way more. Do I still go into perfectionistic patterns? Of course I do. I'm human. I'm not perfect, (laughs) right? Um, Despite the perfectionist pattern, it's never worked. I've never (laughs) come away perfectly human uh, or perfectly perfect. You'd be the first Um, one. (laughs) I know, right? I know. Um, But, you know, hey, there's a micro movement. And first, the micro movement might just be noticing. And maybe you don't even have the ability yet to change the behavior. But it's just, oh, I'm noticing the behavior. Great. That's a micro movement. That's one step closer to, to not having that pattern control your life. And then after being able, getting better to, at noticing it, maybe um, you have the ability to at least pause before you go into the behavior. You still can't change it yet, but you can pause. You can like, there's, you know, it's like that impulse. It's like, I, I mean, I'll turn it to cookies, right? If you're trying not to eat so many cookies at first, just noticing how many times you want to reach for cookies out of stress, that's a win. Then it might be you notice that you want the cookies and instead of just gobbling them right up, you pause for a second. Hold on a second. Should I be eating this? Oh, okay. I'll just eat it. You gobble up a bunch (laughs) of cookies. You know, like whatever those coping behaviors are, the micro movements are, Hey, we change one tiny little shift at a time. It's, it's not a light switch. So, respect for the micro movements, I think really helps people to just slow down a little bit and, and respect the process that they're in and embrace their humanity and have some compassion for themselves. Yeah. I think it's so important because it's so easy to, to get into this all or nothing mindset, right? Of either I'm perfect and I don't need any of the cookies, right? Or I'm like a, a sore loser that, that can never basically get a shit together, right? Like people tend to think in these, these black and white kind of ways and so i think that's where, where it's so powerful to get these micro movements in and to realize and appreciate all the little steps of progress and every time we, we make a little tweak and we get a little bit better at like you say becoming aware and noticing our tendencies even that can be a win if you've never actually paid attention before yes yes and the less we can get binary about it the better because i mean let's also just be real at some point 
you know, it's actually, if, if you're trying not to eat so many cookies and you're going from gobbling them down to, you know, a bunch of them down and sugar overload into not eating them at all, really not eating them all at all is kind of the, the, the other side of the same coin. It's this restraint that's not really going to work. What people really want is the ability to eat as many cookies as satisfies their sweet tooth without going into a place where it actually harms their health. And I think that's true with everything. What we're actually looking for with, you know, when, when people are in people pleasing behaviors, it's like instead of it being I'm totally a people pleaser and then the opposite spectrum, I'm Donald Trump. I'm a narcissist and I don't care about what anybody thinks about anything. Let's go for what's in between, which is a, a willingness to have self-preservation behaviors that are actually interdependent with other people and respectful of other people. Same thing with perfectionism. If it's perfectionism, it's rigid and it's hyper-focused on some kind of outcome having to look a certain way. The opposite is not actually the answer. Oh, I just don't even care about anything and it all just like, who cares? And I'm sloppy and like, I don't even put quality in them. No, what we're actually looking for with perfectionism is more nuanced in between. We're looking for healthy striving. We're looking for personal standards of excellence that also allow room for grace and failure and recovering from mistakes. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think it's so important for people to realize, right? That, that like you don't need to completely switch that pattern around. You just need to change it a little bit. And then a little bit more and a little bit more, baby, until you get, like, like you say, to a perfect middle ground where you don't you know, go too much in this direction and not too much in that direction. I think that's so important when, when you're trying to change behaviors to just, or attitudes especially, right? To, to realize that it's not, you don't have to change the whole thing. You just need to change a little bit sometimes. Yeah. It's not about changing. Um, it's not about being in one place or the other. It's about a flexibility around um, what comes up moment to moment to moment. And that actually drives us towards being present. So it's really being present because um, do I think it's a big deal if somebody totally binges on cookies once in a while? Actually, no. Even if it's too much sugar and doesn't mm -hmm. feel great, you know, uh, like, like really who cares? It, I mean, again, we go to consistency. We're coming full circle here. Again, we're going mm -hmm. to consistency because it's the things you do well consistently that build the positives. It's also the things you don't do as well consistently that start to build the negatives. So, you know, how many, how can we get consistent and it, around building the courageous habits and the noticing because the more consistent we are there, the more courageous we'll become as opposed to being very consistent about running old fear patterns again and again and again, which just keeps us in that fear place. Yes, for sure. So important. Now I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about tattoos because I know you got <laughs> on your, your right arm. I know you got a tattoo saying courageous. <laughs> So <laughs> I think anyone listening to this has noticed by now how important this, this word of courage and the ability to, do, to, to face your fears and deal with them in a positive way is in your life. So where does that come from? Like, have you ever had a time in your life where you struggle with courage and you really had to build that up from scratch? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, an aha moment I had, so I have courageous in Sanskrit on my shoulder and um, a big aha that I had and that actually kind of prompted me to get the tattoo was um, realizing that, you know, because I used to buy into this idea that courage was the absence of fear. 
And when I, I had the insight, the aha, that in fact everything that had ever really mattered to me and been most important to me was in fact um, something I had done from a place of being afraid but doing it anyway, that was when I realized that courage was so important. And, you know, I think that um, – it's like like what what to say around struggle it's been a while since I would say that I out and out struggled with fear in the ways that I used to but when I did and so and by that I don't mean that it doesn't come up I just mean like struggle mm -hmm. I'm talking about being really stuck in it the last time I can recall really really being struggling with fear um, was probably Gosh, this is such an interesting question to, to contemplate. Um, I, you know, like I mean, becoming a parent—that definitely mm. did it. Um, I don't know. There, there's a real bedrock that's been in my life of just kind of knowing and trusting. Becoming a parent, having a baby, was the last time I was just like, I am on the struggle bus. People like sleep deprivation, I think was a huge factor. Um, oh, well, actually I just thought of another thing. I had a, a friend air quote friend who got upset with me. I did not know why at the time and responded by ghosting me. And it, that was actually a little over a year ago. Now that I think about it and it really threw me into a place for a while of one, because to me, the only way that I could imagine ghosting someone is if they were just such an awful person to me, yeah. it's like, I will try to talk to you even if I'm upset with you. Um, but I, I'm not going to just ghost you. I mean, what are we in high school? Yeah, like, that's I'm a weird. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to like, like middle school. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to just like not respond to your texts mm -hmm. here and like ignore you. And, um, not unless you are like just really someone who's just being so profoundly unkind. Yeah. And so she, she ghosted me and it really sent me into a place of, of kind of going, am I like, what must I have done? I must've done something, you know, and that was really, really hard because I was questioning kind of who I was and my ability to evaluate people because I, you know, I wouldn't have expected this from her. Um, and that was a really, really tender, hard time in my life. And, um, I later found out what it was that I had done that had upset her. And it turned out that like, it wasn't one big thing. It was just like little comments that I had made at various points that had offended her. And I had, had no idea. And if she had told me at the time, Hey, I didn't like that. You just said that it would have been absolutely. I would have wanted to think about that and try to rectify that. Believe it or not, I don't walk around waking up in the morning just going, how can I make a comment that's going to make someone <laughs> mad today? Um, so that was really hard. And you know, how I, how I responded to that. And so I think anybody who's listening, if you want to take my personal example and apply it to your own life, just think of criticism you've received. It's like I had to access the body. I had to cry because I was hurt. I had to listen to what my fear was telling me about, oh, well, maybe it's you and you did it all wrong, and but not get attached. I had to just go, okay, this is what my fear is telling me, but I'm not attached. I had to reframe the limiting story that it was all my fault somehow. Relationships are co-created. Let's be real. Like, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect in a relationship, but neither was she. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, like, like we have to reframe the idea that it's all one person's fault. Relationships are co-created and then reaching out and creating community. And, um, I still remember the day that I just really was, was deeply sad, 
um, about this this former friend, and I I actually texted my best friend, and you know my hand was like hovering over the send button for a moment because I felt very vulnerable texting my best friend about what was going on and saying this person had done this hurtful thing, um, but I had to reach out and create community. We can't do these things alone. Yes, th- thanks for sharing that. There's so much interesting stuff in that that I want to unpack a little bit. I think. First of all, how, how you're sharing this, this emotional impact, I think, is something that everybody has felt before, right? I think the ability to deal with those emotions in a, in a positive way, right? Like you say, really processing, feeling it, sharing it with a friend is so important. Um, but then also, it really speaks to the importance of having courageous conversations also, right? Of having the conversation uh, or having the courage to say, hey, if, like a friend said something that we don't like or a coworker, whatever it is, like, hey, I don't like this. I don't appreciate this. I think having the courage to actually speak up rather than, you know, try to, you know, ghost someone is so important in actually building positive relationships. Um, and so I think it just speaks to the importance of, of, of really enabling us and building this ability in ourselves to have those courageous conversations that, you know, you had to force upon that person almost then, right? And ask, like, Hey, what's yeah, going on? I, yeah, but, that basically but, was what happened is I, I, you know, I had pretty much accepted that we weren't going to be in contact and I would just never know. And then I thought to myself, I will try texting this woman one more time. It was like three or four months later and just saying, would you, would you help me out here and just have a conversation with me to tell me what was going on? And um, for those people who are conflict avoidant and don't want to tell other people hey, this thing you did bothered me and they ghost or they avoid the person instead of telling them, I I really have to say, please, people, like, you know, you think that by not saying something, you're helping the person out, but it was honestly profoundly harder for me to wonder. And I, the thought I had about how she handled that was that she really took away my agency because if she had talked to me about anything at the time that it upset her, that would have empowered me to really look at my own behavior and go, here's what I need to be doing differently or, or not, right? Like I'm in choice. I get to decide I want to do it differently or not by completely, uh, you know, ghosting me and eliminating the possibility for conversation. You know, some of the things that she was bringing up were things that were a year old and I was just going, I don't even totally remember exactly what I said. During yeah, you that could have brought that up like so then. I, <laughs> yeah, so like my agency was taken away. My power was taken away around the ability to really evaluate myself and have an opportunity to change things and choose something different. And um, now, of course, trust has been so eroded that I can't even trust this person's analysis of things mm-hmm. because like how can I trust that she's even remembering things accurately? You know, I, I, so it, it became a very complicated thing and, um, I, you know, I feel really glad that ultimately that that was a relationship that I let go because, you know, it's also, you know, as we navigate the world and as we bump up against things that are hard, um, you know, like, like people are showing us who they are and she showed me who she was and hopefully she's not still that person. Hopefully she learned something from the experience too, but I'll just focus on me and say, I learned a lot from that. And, um, you know, in true perfectionist fashion, you know, the reason I was beating myself up was, was all about thinking I should have done it better or more perfect. 
and that was a gift to me to um, recognize that even though I did the best I could, someone still didn't like it. So, hey, the evidence is stacking up that just trying to be perfect, it, it's a losing battle. Like <laughs> you're always going to have somebody who's not happy with you doing your best. And so you got to do your best and accept that that's your best and that other people will, will have what they ha- feel how they feel about it. Yeah, I think for our listeners right now, this is a great lesson in, in terms of you know, courage is, is required in so many forms and shapes in our lives. Oftentimes, it's, it's like you're saying, right? It's the ability to, to give that honest feedback maybe on her side, right? Or it's the ability to, to ask for that honest feedback or saying like, hey, what did I do wrong? How did I you know, annoy you? Whatever it is, right? But I want to go back for a second to something that you said a couple of minutes ago, which was really interesting. This idea that... Um, I'm butchering, butchering probably what, what you said, but, but you said something along the lines of, you know, looking back at my life, it was all, all the great moments were basically the ones where I had fears and I had to sh- basically show up of courage and overcome them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that is such an important point, right? That all of the great achievements, if you look back at your life, usually are the ones where you have that fear, right? Your, your heart is beating so fast, right? And you, you're standing on stage or you're asking out that person or you're, you're applying for a job or quitting that job or whatever it is, right? And it's those moments that we really feel they'll also remember because we had the courage to show up and make the right decision in the moments that mattered most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, the things that I'm most proud of are actually, you know, it's like the friendships that didn't blow up and implode. <laughs> <laughs> ones that I'm thinking, feeling most proud of, even though they might have like fall, you know, people fall away, people just lose touch. You know, those are not the ones I'm sitting here going, go me, I handle yeah. it. <laughs> well, so I think, you know, there's an application to even the stress we're feeling with COVID. I mean, I went through the Sonoma County fires in California in 2017. They stopped about to the the boundary line of the fire stopped about 10 minutes away from my house. We had our stuff in a car ready to go at a moment's notice for a good week. You know, the, the websites that are supposed to give you information on evacuations were so overloaded with people searching them that they crashed. Um, It was terrible. And so I've gone through those fires and then we haven't, you know, we had just again fires in November of this past year. Uh, in 2019. And then there have been multiple times where there was smoke that shut down businesses and stuff like that. So it's been a real problem. And so all that to say that because of having gone through that experience, I actually am looking around at what the world, what the United States is facing, what the world is facing and how people are reacting. And I'm just going, yeah, y'all are in week one of how this goes, where everything is in the air. Everything is scary. You're checking the news headlines constantly you aren't going to feel this exact same way in another week. You aren't going to feel this exact same way in another two weeks. I've been through these fires multiple times, uh, you know, where it takes several weeks for them to be fully put out and the air quality to return and schools to open and all that. You, you aren't going to feel that way in a week or two weeks. Um, and so, you know, people are adjusting and I think they really need to give themselves grace around the adjustment. But on the other side of this, you are going to be so much more resilient. And that's why I invoke the fires because it's having gone through those experiences that enables me on some level, I, I think, to be able to be with what's happening right now and go, okay, been here before, <laughs> <laughs> learned the lessons, and now I'm equipped for next time. 
Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing, right? There's all this adversity and all these problems and difficulties that we face in our lives that actually make us stronger, that actually make us more resilient. And so in a weird way, oftentimes, you know, most of the people I, I, I talk to you on the show, they oftentimes almost look forward to having those kind of problems because they know that as a byproduct of having those things, of going through those things, at the end of the day, while, you know, the process may not be fun, but at the end of the day, they'll actually be better. They actually be, you know, stronger emotionally, mentally, physically, oftentimes as a result of going through these problems. And so I'm really curious, you know, we talked about a lot about, you know, taking courageous action. So what has been the most difficult you know, decision that you had to make in your life to become who you are today? Hmm. Well, I know the one that scared me the most was deciding to become a life coach and start an online business. And, um, because I, I really thought that the only way that people survived making money was to have a, you know, nice, stable, secure brick and mortar job. And, and how interesting to be living in COVID <laughs> through COVID and like actually the engine right now is online business. That's the only economy really that's happening. Yeah, mm -hmm. Um, so given those factors, um, the, you know, that was something that, that caused the most stomach flips and that I was most afraid of. And I look back on that in hindsight and I just go, um, and it was part of the reason it was hard is because when you're doing the online thing, most of the brick and mortar people who just want salary jobs, they don't get what you're doing. They're like, what are you doing? What do you mean? A blog? What is a blog? That was, you know, I'm an internet dinosaur. I'm older than you, I think. So like when I first started in 06, like blog was like, wow, why would yeah. you, why would you put your, your private thoughts online? It's like, well, they're not private if I'm putting them online. This is my, <laughs> these are my thoughts. Well, but why do you feel this need to share them with everyone? Now, of course, everyone has a blog. Everybody understands that you have to have content of some kind to, to run an on, online business. If not a blog, photos or video or a podcast, something. Um, so it's interesting to just see how there, you know, it was scary to do, but I kept coming back to that question of how bad do you really want it? And I knew I wanted freedom. I wanted freedom. I wanted to call the, my own shots. I wanted to be my own boss. And I just treated it like putting money in a savings account. Like, you know, you don't, you don't retire because you put a dollar in a savings account one time, but you could do it if you put a dollar a day for many, many years. And I just went, okay, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how it's going to succeed or if it's going to succeed, but I'm going to try. And that because I want it that badly and I've had multiple ups and downs but for sure the scariest thing to me felt like that because it was my whole identity um who am I you know it's like what what are these I mean I guess where you're living it's probably not as predominant but in the United States it's one of the first things people will ask you after what's your name oh I'm Kate oh what do you do yeah <laughs> you know it's very common so um how do, how would I answer that question at parties well I've got this. Yeah, I have a blog. <laughs> yeah, I have a blog. What? You know, six, I guess. Blog? Yeah, that was different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very different. Yeah. Wow, super interesting. Now we talked a lot about you know different strategies people can apply to their lives to become more courageous today. If you could give them just one piece of advice, one action step to take away from this, what would be that one thing? Hmm. Uh, stop running from your fear. <laughs> it, you know, however you're going to face it, face it. 
if you don't like how I'm presenting the possibility of facing it, that's okay. I'm not attached, but for the good of yourself and the good of the world we live in, get really clear about how your fear shows up and face it rather than run from it. Yeah. Talking about fears, one thing I'm obsessed with is this ancient idea of memento mori, of remembering death. In fact, I got this bracelet here uh, that my best friend gave to me that, that just reminds me every day of the fact that I'm going to die and my friends, my family, everyone around me is going to die at some point. And so I want to live every moment in just remembering that and embracing it in a way that will make me happy on my deathbed. So, you know, the day that you're going to die, what do you want written on your tombstone? Mm -hmm. Um, mm, that I loved people well. Love that. Yeah. Now, yeah, before that, I, my, that I loved people well. That is amazing. Before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? There are two places, uh, yourcourageouslife.com and team, T-E-A-M-C-L-C-C.com. And uh, I'm Kate Courageous on Instagram. So that's another place where I hang out frequently. Perfect. Going to link to that then. Now, final question, what does it mean for you to max out your life? Mm. To know that I met my own personal standards for excellence, that when I put my, my head on the pillow, my own personal standards for excellence were honored. And that would include not just goals that are tangible, like writing a book or giving a talk or making a certain amount of money, but also um, my personal standards for how I love my, my daughter and my husband and how I leave people feeling. You know, I want people to feel that they are better off having met me or interacted with me, that I've left them with something, that I've given them something. And uh, so that, that, that would be my answer. Kate Courageous, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just think about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life, to really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.